0: Welcome to Meeting Room Seven. This is the third podcast in the series from the Stevens and Bolton IP team, during which we'll be discussing patent and know-how licensing with a focus in the life sciences sector. I'm Charlie Tillett. I'm a partner in the IP team, and I also head up our cross-practice life sciences team here at Stevens and Bolton. For this podcast, I'm joined by my two fantastic colleagues in our IP team, Tom Collins, who's a senior associate. Hi, hi, and Kate McGuire, who is an associate in our team. Hello. In our previous podcast, we've uh, considered, considered first of all defining the deal, in which we discussed the importance of taking the time at the outset to clearly define the scope of the rights being licensed and other key elements. And in our second podcast, we looked at maintaining control. So. In that one, we considered the balance of properly protecting the licensor's IP whilst allowing the licensee the commercial freedom it needs to get medicines to patients. For our third episode today, we're moving on to consider payment and payment problems, including taking a look at some typical structuring of terms and key considerations for both the licensor and a licensee. Just a point, in our, our experience, we have noticed that the payment provisions are becoming increasingly complex in these types of licenses. And we're seeing an increasing variety of types of lump sum and royalty payments. So it's an interesting area. Also to say that we are focusing here on a patent license, which is of a type between two main parties. So a licensor and a licensee. And we're not at this stage looking at other types of licenses such as research and development licenses, but we may look at these in a later podcast. So in our session today, Tom is going to speak on behalf of licensors and Kate is going to talk from the licensee's perspective. So we'll start by considering part of the typical payment structure that you see in these types of licences and that's royalties. So Tom, speaking on behalf of a potential licensor, what are the important issues to be considered in relation to royalties?
1: So The main thing that a licensor will be looking for is to have royalties is a fixed percentage of the net sales that the licensee generates from selling its products on the market. And that really ties into how that net sales is defined in the agreement. And is actually a very critical part of it because that is essentially the bucket on which the licensee is always gonna get its money paid out from. So you can get into the detail of what is and isn't included in that net sales definition, and that's always gonna be an area for negotiation. But I think from the licensor's perspective, one of the main things is making sure that the licensee takes the hit on bad debts and that's not something that can be deducted from the net sales because it's the licensee who has the responsibility for checking the financial standing of its customers and getting the revenue in. So I think when advising the licensor, you're always going to want to avoid that being something that can essentially come out of that pot of net sales. There are other considerations, for example, where there's intra-group sales. Um, That might not be something that should be included because from the licensor's point of view, you want to make sure that the sales that are counted effectively for royalty purposes are the final sales to consumers that are generating that big pot of revenue and not intra-group small sales that then leads to a further sale onto the market. But that does tie into the point that, Occasionally, there could be a situation where there is some kind of intra-group or between sub-licensee sale, but that actually is the final sale and there's no further sale after that. So in that situation, you would obviously want to make sure that's captured as otherwise the licensor is potentially going to lose out. Another thing to consider is having an audit right and a right to inspect the licensee's accounts at various periods throughout the life course of the agreement. That, that might be on a quarterly basis or, or the price might only agree you can do that perhaps once a year. And that, that's again, going to be something that's negotiated. But the licensor will want to make sure it has that right. So in due course, if it needs to go in and check that actually the royalties being paid do match up with with the revenue coming in, then it, it's got the right to do that or at least reserves the ability to do that if it's concerned that it's not getting paid as much as it should be. Um, and also you'd want to see details of actually who has manufactured that product and where it's been made. So that's the kind of information that could be tracked going forwards. So I think those are some of the main things that you're going to be thinking about as a licensor when looking at the royalties.
2: Yeah, and just to add on to what Tom was saying there about the audit provisions, from the licensee's perspective too, there can sometimes be actually quite a lot of debate around these. For example, the number of times that the licensor will be allowed to audit the licensee's accounts, as well as, for example, how the relevant auditing firm will actually be agreed upon between the parties if it comes to it, and even how much notice the licensee wants to receive before the auditors arrive at its premises. So audit rights might seem like one of those quite straightforward matters at the outset, but it can actually often be quite a contentious issue for a licensee during negotiations. Mm, that's right, even though actually, probably those those provisions aren't triggered that often, it still
0: seems to be a bit of a sticking point, doesn't it? Um, okay, and another contentious area can be that of royal, royalty stacking, which a licensor will want to resist, Tom.
1: Yeah, that's, that's right. And that's, that's always going to be the starting point to try and resist that full stop. But if that is something that the licensee insists on and it becomes a real sticking point in negotiations, then at the very least, the licensor will want to have a royalty floor or a kind of a minimum payment, so to speak. And that, that's what you'd be looking for as kind of an alternative if that does have to be included.
0: Sure. So coming back to you, Kate, and the key points that the licensees want going to want to keep in mind on royalties, what? What, um, what do we think here and perhaps we can start with the question of royalty stacking that we've just mentioned.
2: Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And royalty stacking, just for context, is a term that's used to describe a situation where in order to commercialise the particular product in question, a licensee will need to pay royalties to multiple parties under various different licence agreements sometimes. And the royalties in these cases are referred to as being stacked sort of one on top of the other. And in this situation, a licensee will want to make sure that the royalties that it has to pay to those third party IP owners can be deducted from the royalties that are payable under its first license agreement. But of course, as Tom mentioned earlier, this is rarely an appealing prospect for a licensor, as it can often result in quite a significant reduction in the royalties that the licensor will then receive from the licensee after that stacking adjustment has been applied. And then aside from royalty stacking, another really key point for licensee on royalties is that if there is going to be some form of delay before the licensed product comes to the market, which is often, of course, particularly the case in the life sciences sector, the licensee will probably wish to delay the payments that it needs to make to the licensor until itself starts making money on the product. Of course, in reality, this might be unrealistic. And even for a licensee in a really strong negotiating position, it could be quite hard to avoid some sort of early payment being due to the licensor. So instead of that, the licensee might wish to push for any of those upfront payments that do need to be made to be structured instead as an advance on royalties.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I think looking at that from a licensor's point of view, as you said, it, it could take many, many years before they start seeing a royalty revenue stream coming in. And during that time, they are at risk in the sense that their technology is being licensed out, um, particularly when there's patents in play. And there might be a relatively limited shelf life left on those patents that it wants to at least be receiving some revenue to reflect the fact that it's still licensing its technology in that early period before the commercial revenue starts coming in. So th- they would want to trying to avoid a situation where it's just an advance on royalties or that that kind of gets pushed further down the line and really tries to be pushed to have some kind of access fee or ongoing annual fee to compensate for the fact that they're not going to see the royalties coming for many years but that's something we'll come back to in a bit as well.
2: Yeah, thanks, Tom. And then another really important point to make for for the licensee when it comes to having the agreement drafted in the first place is that definitions are, of course, really crucial to get right at the outset. And one of the definitions that is really important for a licensee is going to be the definition of the licensed product. And this is crucial for the licensee, of course, because it defines exactly what the royalties are paid in respect of. And this is also where the valid claim definition comes in as another area to think about. And So, for a bit of context here, a prospective licensee might be willing to take a license under a patent which is of potentially questionable validity in order to avoid the infringement claim and the expense of litigation that it would otherwise sort of get involved in if it were to proceed in commercializing that product without the license from the patent owner. However, of course, after signing that agreement, if the relevant patent was then found to be invalid by a court, the licensee obviously wouldn't want to continue paying those royalties under the license, as that wouldn't make commercial sense and would obviously put the licensee at a competitive disadvantage. And so, that's the type of scenario that valid claim wording deals with in a patent license. And the way that it's generally structured is that a license agreement will provide that royalties are only payable on products where that, that would infringe a valid claim and then a valid claim is then defined as one with for which invalidity has not been finally established at court and this approach will provide certainty obviously for both parties but it would also protect the licensee from having to pay royalties in respect of an invalid patent like in the scenario i described just now
0: yes thanks kate and and picking up on the point there about invalidity um from the licensor's perspective it, perspective it is of course possible to include a right for the license or to terminate the license if the licensee challenges the validity of the patents. Um, We'll come on to talk about this um, at a later stage but we need to keep in mind that there are limitations on when these rights can and can't be included and it does depend on the scope of the license particularly for example whether it's an exclusive exclusive, or non-exclusive license and you need to make sure that any provisions that are included here are aligned with um, competition law rules um, on including those termination rights for challenge.
2: Thanks, Charlie. Yeah, and, and just to expand on and some further thoughts about the valid claim definition for the licensee, this can be a really difficult area of negotiation and. Often, for example, a licensee might be concerned about patent claims that are not then granted for many years. So, it might actually wish to exclude claims that are not not granted for X number of years from the definition of valid claim right from the outset. Another thing to think about in the same definition is that in a multi-jurisdictional license, a licensee is going to want to avoid royalty provisions – that lump together all of the various jurisdictions. Uh, for example, a royalty of X percent being payable worldwide for as long as any valid claim remains. This is, of course, very broad, and and it could cause complications where there are differences, for example, in the interpretation of valid claims across different countries, and also because the licensee could then end up paying royalties in respective countries where a patent has actually been found invalid. And then the final thing to say on this is that a licensee will want valid claims to refer only to granted claims, because including a reference to claims in a patent application takes it, of course, much broader. And the licensee might actually even also want to argue for overbroad claims to be excluded from the definition of valid claims right from the start. So these are all sort of key areas for negotiation within the defined terms uh, that the licensee will want to be thinking about and pushing for at the outset of the agreement.
1: Yeah, and another thought on that is, from the licensors point of view, obviously you're looking at the country where the relevant product is being sold, and that's going to be the main kind of area you're going to be looking at in terms of assessing whether or not a valid claim has been infringed in a particular country. But another consideration is actually, where was that product manufactured and did a valid claim of the patent otherwise get infringed during that manufacture? So you're not always necessarily just looking at where that product's been sold, but also the life cycle of making that product through to selling it would it have otherwise infringed a valid claim and if so if you're acting for a license or then the argument is that that would justify a patent royalty because you're essentially getting a license that would um to use a patent that would otherwise have been infringed but for that
0: yeah that's right tom so you know careful analysis of of the steps of manufacture and sale um and thinking through where claims might be infringed is, is going to be a really important point there thank you so we've looked now at royalties, um, but beyond royalties, what further payment provisions are likely to be included in these types of licenses? Tom, what is the licensor going to be looking for here, and why?
1: I think, as we touched upon earlier, the licensor is taking an element of risk when it signs a long-term agreement, knowing that it's actually not going to receive significant amount of revenue for a for many many years, and obviously anything can happen in that in that time period. So. I think the starting point is wanting to try and have a signature fee so you're getting that early compensation as soon as you get into this agreement it's effectively a technology access fee to to grant the rights to use the patents and the know-how so that would be one thing that you'd be looking for and then beyond that as we mentioned earlier you might also be pushing to have annual fees that are payable in certain situations so that there is that consistent stream of revenue coming in over the life cycle of the agreement even when the royalties haven't started to be payable. That obviously creates some issues because the licensee might not actually have huge pot of revenue until it starts commercializing the product. So there will sometimes have to be an element of give when it comes to negotiating that. But certainly from a licensor's point of view, you would at least be thinking about including that. Another thing is milestone payments, and that's something that you do very regularly see in license agreements that are triggered on various events throughout the life cycle of the contract. And that might be marketing authorizations. It might be hitting certain phases of clinical trials or potentially hitting financial targets. For example, certain number of millions of net sales in a particular year might, might then trigger further payments um, further down the line. Other things to consider out is potentially if there's a failure to meet a minimum amount of royalties, that that might be something that, that could also trigger additional payments. So you could set a threshold that the licensee has to pay a certain level of royalties each year. And if they don't do that, then they have to essentially make up that shortfall to make sure that there's some certainty from a financial point of view as to what's going to be paid to the licensor. Another thing would be a situation where a licensor accepts a royalty buyout and that is something that comes with a level of risk because until a product actually hit the market, it's always difficult to know exactly how successful it's going to be commercially. So it's one of those things that could end up being beneficial. If actually a licensee pays a significant upfront payment to buy out its future royalty obligations, but then the product isn't quite as successful as, as planned. And so the licensor actually ends up profiting out of that because it's essentially bought out that risk early on. But, On the other hand, you could find yourself in a situation where you've accepted a lump sum payment, but when you see the revenues that would otherwise have been paid as royalties further down the line, that might not make for happy reading. So, that's obviously going to be something you're going to want to think about when you're negotiating those kind of provisions as well.
0: Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So, uh, moving beyond the sort of more typical payment structures that you might see, Let's have a think quickly about other types of special deals or, or discounts that, that come up. Um, did we see did these arise very often?
2: Yeah, definitely, Charlie. A licensee will often be looking to negotiate a discount or some form of special deal when the license agreement is being drafted and negotiated. For example, the licensee might want to push for lower royalties where it manufactures product for the licensor, or it could even request lower royalty rates in exchange for providing the licensor with benchmarking data once it starts using its licensed technology, which can, of course, be helpful for the licensor to develop its own technology and continue the development of that in-house. It might also be asking for lower royalty rates in exchange for allowing the licensor to use the licensee's name in marketing materials, for example. So these arrangements can be structured in a number of different ways, depending on the party's objectives and their bargaining power.
1: Yeah, and I think another thing to add on that is that you could find a situation where... A seemingly simplistic deal is struck between the parties on a commercial level, which which makes sense to all of the parties concerned. But actually, when it comes to documenting that deal in the contract, it creates a number of complications in terms of fitting all of the various moving parts of the agreement together and making sure that actually you can make that work in a, in a manner that five, ten years after that provision is drafted, everybody actually understands how it will work in practice. So I think one thing to to think about there is making sure obviously we would say this as lawyers but getting the lawyers involved in those discussions at an earlier stage is actually quite helpful because that will enable those potential risks and complications to be ironed out before it gets to the point of putting something in agreement when an agreement's already been struck between the parties so making sure that there's that early dialogue and that the legal team is involved in those discussions will will obviously help when it comes to striking the right commercial deal
0: sure thank you so we've talked about the various different types of payments and the lump sum payments of of different varieties and the royalty payments but let's think about when the royalty and other payments come to an end Kate from your perspective what would a licensee be thinking here
2: Yeah, I I mean the point at which the royalty and other payment obligations come to an end is of course a very important one for licensees. Uh, And this is something that should be considered right at the outset, as you say, because even though it's a really important area for licensees, it's actually something that can be quite easily overlooked during the drafting and negotiation process, as it might be that conversations between the parties are going to focus more on the initial phases of the commercial relationship and the specific financial terms, rather than necessarily looking all the way ahead to the days of expiry and termination of the agreement. So, In terms of the licensee's perspective, one thing to keep in mind at all times is that the end date for payments under a license might actually depend on the IP rights that are being licensed under the agreement. And if, for example, the license involves both patents and know-how, the know-how element of the license will often survive expiration of the patents. So on this basis, it's quite usual to agree a lower royalty rate within the main agreement for the know-how only part of the license. And these rates will become applicable and payable once the patents have actually expired. However, the story doesn't end there when it comes to know-how payments, Um, and the licensee will of course want to stop paying for the know-how if it somehow seeps into the public domain and no longer holds the same commercial value as it once did when it was secret, so that's something to keep in mind too. But of course, in practice, this might be difficult to prove, and it's generally more advisable for a licensee to be seeking a fixed end date to the royalty payments uh, to keep things clear within the agreement.
1: Yes. And, and looking at that from the licensor's perspective, one one important point to consider is whether it's a global royalty term from the first sale of the product anywhere in the world. And then that essentially starts your clock ticking from that point onwards, which as you mentioned, might be something that's beneficial for a licensee. But where where there needs to be some caution is that you could find a situation where a licensee actually starts launching its products in a staggered way in many different countries over a period of years. So you could find a situation where it, it launches a product in one of the big jurisdictions, but actually doesn't launch it in some of the smaller countries for perhaps another four or five years, in which case you might only find you're benefiting from a much shorter period of royalty payments in those other countries. So, to deal with that concern if you're the licensor you'd be trying to make it a country by country situation so you, you, you analyze where the first commercial sale is in a particular country and it's then a fixed period from that point in that country so that's something that may be overlooked and something to be considering if so if, if you're acting for the licensor.
0: Thank you and a thread that runs through all of these discussions that we've been having in these podcasts is that of certainty and gaining as much certainty for the parties as we can. So picking up that thread in relation to certainty of the payment obligations to the extent this is ever truly obtainable. Um, By way of an example as to where payment dispute could arise, um, certainly we've seen in the past circumstances where the wording of a particular agreement, which may or not be seen as ambiguous, but in any case, the parties have their own interpretation and have done their own planning commercially as to when the royalty stream will end. And it it can sometimes be because these license agreements are long-term agreements very often. It could be that the agreement was drafted many years ago when perhaps those involved in negotiations at the outset are long gone and no longer with the relevant companies. Um, it, the reason it can be tricky is because these things often come to a head at the point at which the medicine is on the market and is potentially at its peak value so both sides are going to be under a lot of pressure from the licensor's perspective it's under pressure to realize its investment and its income from that license and from the licensee's side it may not have forecast for future royalty payments beyond a certain point so it it's not going to be able to conjure up those payments without, without an issue. So it can bring a lot of tension and pressure on the parties, of course. And this is a point um, being an agreement as to when the payment structures will come to an end and as much clarity as, as possible it may well be one that, as you mentioned, Kate, is worth including in perhaps like a heads of terms agreement at the very outset because I think clarity here from a commercial perspective perspective is is very important well that brings us to the end of this podcast episode thank you very much to the team to Kate and to Tom for joining me and thank you for listening please do join us for our next podcast in which we're going to have a look at termination and the exit provisions that are typically seen in patent licenses so until next time thanks very much